So, Nicole, thank you very much for agreeing to chat to me this morning. Of course. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So you are the managing director of uh, the UK branch of bookshop.org. Do you want to tell us what bookshop.org is? Yeah. So bookshop.org was founded with a mission to support independent bookstores. Uh, and what we do is we provide a platform where bookshops can come set up a profile on our website in about the same amount of time it set, takes to set up a Twitter or Instagram profile. And then anytime a bookshop sells a book through our website, they get a 30% commission on the cover price of that book. And when that order is placed, we do all the work. So that order gets placed via our website. We send that order to our wholesale partner, Gardner's Books, and then they ship it directly to the customer. So it's a very low effort way for bookshops to get online sales. Okay, so you're not you're not specifically connecting um, the bookstore themselves with the per with the with the details from the person buying the book and like just like connecting the two. You're actually physically like you've got the books in warehouse and you're letting them as a bookstore be the the like person marketing or selling said book without actually being the person distributing it. So it's 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 not actually yeah they don't have to have like a mailing thing set up or, or anything that, that, that makes it quite easy, actually. I, I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize it was set up that way. I just imagined it was like a, a page where you'd go on and you could, you would just like be ordering through your page to other independent sellers. Yeah. It's interesting because some customers have um, been confused about that. They think that they're getting a book off the shelf of the indie bookshop down the, down the road from them. Um, but no, it's not the case. It comes from, like I said, Gardner's our wholesale partner. And the benefit of that, I think it, there are many, but two big ones. One is that a lot of bookshops, they only have so much space, so they can't stock lots and lots of books. And so, for example, we've seen a lot of children's bookshops say, oh, now I can actually sell books also to the parents for their own reading, even though I don't tend to stock those books in my shop. Um, and the other thing, as you say, is just that it's an enormous time saver. I mean, the way I like to think about it is the reason we got into this is we want bookshops to be focused on what makes them so special and what makes them so amazing. And that is reading books, talking to customers, making recommendations. And that's what our platform focuses them on, not on like, you know, standing in the post office, waiting to ship a book uh, to a customer, um, which many have done very, you know, valiantly and importantly. But I think if our model can allow them to you know, not spend time doing that and spend more time doing the stuff they love, then we'll feel like that's success as well. Mm. So why, when did you come on board actually um, with bookshop.org? Were you there from the start or did you get involved when they decided to open like a UK branch? Yeah, to be honest, the company as a whole is quite young. So Andy Hunter founded the company and it got the website launched in January of 2020. So it's not been around that long. And I think under normal circumstances, most internet companies wouldn't launch like a second country within a year of starting at home. But given the um, success of the model in the US and given the constraints that the UK bookshops were facing, Andy felt it was important to try to bring the model to the UK sooner rather than later. So candidly, I had left Etsy in February of 2020 and having spent eight years at Etsy really championing a different type of small creative business, I actually reached out to Andy and said, hey, you know, I love what you're doing candidly books are kind of more my thing than embroidered cushion covers if I'm honest <laughs> um, 
And I've done exactly this for Etsy before, where I've helped an American internet company bring its business to the UK and to other markets. And at the time, you know, the first time I talked to him, he said, you're, you know, this is a bit crazy. There's no way we're going to the UK anytime soon. And then over time, it, like I said, it became clear that there was an opportunity to really um, support the bookshops here. So I came on board in August of 2020. Um, so I've been at it for a handful of months and wasn't there right from the beginning. But like I said, bookshop.org itself isn't isn't that old. Mm. You mentioned constraints there that the UK booksellers were, were, were um, you know, hindered by perhaps. Like, well, what constraints do you mean specifically? Well, so I think there were, you know, there's probably two ways to answer that question. One is even before the pandemic, the bookshops were up against a world where consumers were buying more and more things online. And they were doing so through companies that are incredibly uh, well-funded and large and could afford to, you know, candidly sell books at a loss in a lot of cases and give them to your door the next day. And that, I think, left a lot of bookshops really um, sort of intimidated by online sales and avoiding them pre-pandemic. And so when the pandemic arrived and, and lockdowns happened, you know, whether shops are allowed to be open and football had just fallen or sadly, as they've been required to be closed for so much time, it really forced a lot of bookshops to face the need to find a way to take some of the share of online sales as that consumer behavior really accelerated. Um, so yeah, I think there, there were constraints and, and challenges pre-pandemic, and then those have been really exacerbated, to say the least, by the lockdowns that have happened. Mm. I do remember the first, uh, the first time I got to go into a bookshop after the first lockdown in, it must have been like May, end of May kind of time. The first time I went in, I was like, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. I didn't realize how much I missed just walking around, looking, <laughs> looking at bits of paper on the wall. <laughs> it was like a quasi-religious experience being able to actually go and, yeah, see these physical objects. It was great. Mm. Not that I didn't have enough at home, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Books, books seem to be like that. It's one of the few things that I, I'm really bad at restraining myself. Like, like if you've got enough food, you don't go to the sh- store and buy like loads of extra unnecessary food. But with books, you seem to be like, no, I'll read it sometime. Like, <laughs> yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. You put it in like your literary freezer right at the back of the <laughs> shelf or something. <laughs> There's still more floor space in here. There's still more room for piles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why do, why do you think it's so important Um in, in this sphere specifically, to, to try and challenge Amazon and their uh, pretty pretty large monopoly of, of online book sales? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the arguments for why Amazon is not great for the world are very well rehearsed. Um, uh, what I would say is, even if you thought they were great corporate citizens and you thought they were doing everything really well, um, the share of the market that they occupy in the US and the UK is so high that it can't possibly be good for the industry. So, you know, there, when you talk to publishers and authors, you get this sense that you're either in the top 100 on Amazon, or you just, you know, you're not, there's a big cliff between being a bestseller and not. Um, And so our belief is that it's really important to have humans involved in this and physical spaces involved in this part of this industry in publishing and in book selling because people need a place to go physically and see a book and interact with humans and get recommendations that have been done by somebody who's actually read the books. Hmm. (laughs) Um, 
and that that gives people a way into books that that algorithms really struggle to. You know, Amazon is an incredibly sophisticated company, and and they still don't. I think we could all agree give good recommendations about books. There's just a a limitation to what machines can do, and so you know, we both want to make sure that financially bookshops are secure so that they can be the physical spaces that we all love in our communities. But we also want to make sure that we build a platform that puts humans front and center. So, you know, this is the very tip of the iceberg of what we hope to do over time. But the fact that we put lists that humans have pulled together front and center on our website, I think is one mark of this. Like I know that, you know, so many people tell us that they come to the site to buy one book and they end up buying many more because these lists just generate an interest in a, such a wide variety of titles that uh, an algorithm is not able to do. Yeah. I mean, like books, books are one of those weird things that you, like, I guess that's a good sign if you're, if your website is like, convincing people to almost act like they were in a bookstore because that happens to me you go in you go in for one and you're like yeah it's like a pint you know you just go for one you're like no i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get this book quickly and get out before anything else happens and then like suddenly you're walking around with this big stack and you're like "Mm, oh no that looks really good as well Um, so the fact that that the website is doing that that too must that's got to be a good sign right but um like you, you talk about actually on the website about about like why we need bookstores for to ha- for a for a healthy like culture or society. Like, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are a couple of really important aspects to it. One is, you know, there aren't that many third spaces left today, like a physical space to go wander around and spend time um, thinking, you know, putting your phone down and actually thinking about things and interacting with people there just aren't that many of those spaces left and doing it around books is so important. It's where authors connect with their writers quite often. It's where children fall in love with reading that can last a lifetime. It's where you get um, introductions to books or authors or titles that you would never have otherwise discovered. And that there's something about a physical space that really is conducive to all of those things. Um, And the other thing is that we, you know, there's been a lot of focus over the last year about diversity in publishing. And, and I mean this in the broadest sense, both in terms of the, the voices, but also just the, the array of titles that are available. Like I was saying earlier, Amazon is really, you know, it's a hits business. You either are in the top 100 or you're not. And we really feel like it's important to make sure that a very wide array of authors and titles are discovered and read by people. So we did, um, a list with Elena Ferrante in the fall that was very well received. And on her list of 40 titles to read by women were quite a few books that, you know, our wholesaler would tell us they've only sold one or two in the last year. And then we ended up selling tens of those in a week. Mm. And so we feel, you know, a huge amount of gratification in knowing that we can help make a difference to these titles that are sometimes otherwise unsung. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the, the the probably the biggest advantage of the internet. Um, but the lists thing, that's that's interesting that you chose to go with things like put together by physical people and not just an algorithm, because like a, a lot of a lot of companies like really have, have have spoken very highly of of how good their recommendation algorithm is. I mean, Spotify have 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 been very 
sort of self-congratulatory at times about about how good their their algorithm is for recommending stuff. Now, personally, I find their Discover Weekly to generally be trash. I hate like I, I just I can't get around my head around how they can have so much information about the music I listen to and still pick such rubbish. Yeah. Um, but like, why was there a conscious decision to choose people and not not algorithms? Because sure, surely you could save money on um on getting people on or like just writing an algorithm and letting it go rather than having to employ people to be you know creative and, and think of the list themselves yeah i mean i think that um you know to state the really i think what's sort of um confusing about books in a world of technology is it feels like books are text and technology is good at text right so if you can describe something in words a search engine can usually help you find it uh, I, a couple of lives ago, I worked on a startup that was um, in the interior design space, and that's really hard. Like you look at a chair that you like at a restaurant, let's say, and putting that into words is really difficult. So I think a lot of people think, oh, books should be easy with technology. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you read a book, A, the algorithms are not reading the whole book, even though that is text, they're just not reading the whole book. And B, the algorithms are not tapping into what they what is being provoked in you in terms of emotions and mood. And that can't be replicated easily with a machine. Um, so I think, you know, I've spent a lot of time, my career has been in consumer internet technology and it's just incredibly hard for, for algorithms to solve for taste and for mood. I think those are the two things that make it really difficult. If you're looking for, you know, a piece of consumer electronics, certainly the criteria can be like boiled down to a table full of facts and that the internet is and technology is great at that. But, you know, I have a certain taste, I'm in a certain mood for something, I've just seen a certain, you know, TV show, you can, you know, the, a bookshop is a magical place where you can walk in and say, I just watched The Queen's Gambit, I sort of feel like watch, reading something that's a bit like that, I really love this other author, I've just finished all of the Ann Tylers, what can I read next? Um, a, a human who is truly expert in books is uniquely able to do that. And so our job as a platform is to try to find ways to use technology to make that scale as scalable as you could, um, but not to take it out of the equation. I guess you could compare it in a way actually to the difference between a DJ and like a, like an algorithmically generate, generated playlist. Like it might be, it might be good. It might all work together. But, um, you know, a DJ is going to be far more skilled at, at picking the, like, Reading the yeah, and like what vibe is coming from the songs and like maybe picking up on on categories or, or genres that are like mixed in with the, the way something sounds that that like an algorithm can't can't pick up on. I remember reading this this great um, this great article on uh, like a computer program. They were trying to they were trying to get it to understand nostalgia. Right. Um, so they had to like take all the words that, that they used for for like any any word that could be used like in a, a nostalgic <laughs> way they got someone to like write a story from their childhood and it like picked out certain words that they had like identified as being nostalgic and then depending on like just how nostalgic your story ended up being it would generate this pink piece of like rose tinted like art that that like drew something based on the words that you used in your um in your story and, and i remember thinking it's like you know i'd never really considered how difficult it must be to class certain words 
like you or or feelings or like styles of writing is like like, like you said like it's got to be it's got to be almost impossible to get something that isn't like that can't like actually feel emotion yet um, <laughs> um yeah. that we that that can like really truly understand like a the way a like oh, the way a book makes you feel or or the type of writing that you enjoy or I'm not even sure if they can code for sarcasm like <laughs> just at the very basic level yeah and part of me I, again I have huge respect for technology I've spent my career in it but part of me also asks like why you know why why do we is our default to try to use technology to take humans out of the equation where we could be using technology to lift up what humans are really great at right and make it more scalable and more available to other people I think it's just a it's almost a matter of the lens that you look at it through like I think we should be using technology in loads of ways but but perhaps the best way is to to help these booksellers you know bookseller who today only sees the footfall that comes to their store in their small town in England you know what technology should be doing is giving them a bigger voice to sell more and a better um, you know, variety and better connections to books. Mm. And, and just also just understanding the like, there's so many different ways into books, I think is also the hard part about using technology alone to do this. So one list that our US site had that I thought was really incredible at the beginning of 2020 was a list of novels that featured key workers as the protagonists. Okay. And so, yes, you could you could probably set a task to an algorithm to go find those books, but a human would have had to give the algorithm the brief for that to even be interesting. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, so often the technology debate is like, is it good or is it bad? And I, I guess my philosophy is let's figure out how to use it. I don't think we have to not use it and I don't think we have to use it in every possible way, but we're the stewards of it and we can use it to to empower people rather than take them out so why do you think um physical books have survived because i remember like maybe 10 but some some point between like 10 and 15 years ago um like kindles started to appear on the scene and i i started to get like a little concerned because especially when i was a kid um i still do it now but all my summer holidays are just just lying in the sun reading or lying in the shade reading if it's too hot mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I started to get, I started to like, I tried a Kindle and one of those e-readers and I just hated it. I actually physically hated it. I was so just not happy with like trying to read off this screen. And, and I started to get real concerned that like books were going to start and disappear in the same way that like CDs have disappeared yeah. or yeah. in the same way, like newspapers were disappearing then have just almost completely disappeared or magazines or anything like that. Why do you think? Why do you think books have actually managed to like hold on in a way that those other other um, sort of types of I don't know what you would call them creative things have, have disappeared into the digital world? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure if I know why there's a huge there's such a big difference between books and music, for example, because some of the things I'm about to say about books probably could apply to music as well. But you know, I think make no mistake, ebooks are you know play a role. There are lots of people who appreciate being able to get bigger size font, for example, or have access to books that aren't readily um, published in print. Um, so there are some, definitely some good things about it, but I think in a way the, the foray into eBooks was kind of, a, a, from my, as an outsider, as I said, not being from publishing, 
felt like an enormous distraction. I think people thought for a while that that was the technology investment that everybody needed to be making in the publishing world. Um, and yeah, it has really leveled off and turned out not to be as big a threat or as big an opportunity um, as people thought. And I think some of that is because like the books are, um, you know, really lovely to hold. The form factor actually really matters. Uh, they're also like great, you know, as we've seen in this age of Zoom, they're actually like art in their own way on a shelf. You know, mm. they actually make up a considerable amount of, you know, the interiors of people's homes. Um, and and I think there's in a funny way, like, as you say, you know, it's hard to control yourself if you love books from buying more. And some of that is because I think there's less guilt associated with that as an object to buy and to hold than so many other things in life today, mm. right, rightly so. Um, so I think all of those reasons mean that, you know, you want to hold it, you want to show it on your shelf, you feel good about yourself for spending money on it. Um, all those things make it, you know, uh, an object that has held on uh, despite other forces. Mm. That's an interesting thing that the guilt isn't there. I mean, I, maybe that's my focus group of one, but I certainly feel that way myself. It feels mm. like um, it almost doesn't count in a way when you spend a month money on a book for so many reasons, because it's good for you. It's good for the publisher and author. Hopefully it's good for the bookshop that you bought it from. It's, you know, making a world that you want to see. Mm, I had not thought of it like that. That's not good. I, 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 I should not consider myself to not feel guilty when I constantly break my rule of no more books till you finish the pile you've got. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely. I don't feel guilty, actually, when I buy a book. I mean, I feel a little bit guilty, but that's only because I'm breaking my constantly self-imposed rule that I'm not allowed right. to buy any more books. Right. <laughs> but so do you think like books right now are, are 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 more important than than they have been maybe in the past like 34 years i feel like like the the thing with with um like newspapers and the the kind of barriers to entry in in media or opinion or anything like that has has kind of it's it's both fantastic in that we don't have the same gatekeepers of information that we used to on a, on a totally flip side that it's it's also not good because anyone with an internet connection can pose as a professional expert on basically anything um and i think books almost provide you with like it's like it, look if someone has managed to get this published like a physical copy even more so and someone has taken the time to like write and research this there's like i i i, I like take it with more clout than I would read in something online or in a newspaper um, these days. Like, do you think books have become or will become um, like a more important way of like exploring ideas, given that most of the media seems to be more obsessed with like little 30 second bites and a book is, is quite an expansive piece of work? Yeah, and I think books are, it, that's such an interesting question. And there's a lot in there. I think the other thing about books is that like so much of it is fiction and that's a real plays a really important role in our lives that you you know you certainly can read fiction online make no mistake but as you say like a lot of it is oriented towards clickbaity news oriented items and a world where you spend more time in fiction i think is a world that is good for everyone's mental health and for their empathy and for exploring ideas in a way that isn't 
you know, so literal and reactionary to what's going on in the world right this moment. Um, I think it provides a really valuable perspective. And, you know, to say maybe the, the most obvious thing about books right this minute, maybe not the last 30 or 40 years, but over the last year is it is, you know, an easily accessible, e anybody who is stuck at home, as many as a, of us are, can enjoy it. Um, it's, it's just a very, you know, for many people, affordable and accessible form of entertainment um, in a world where we're not allowed to interact with each other face-to-face um, -face so much. So I think it's, you know, it's playing a really important role in the, in the very immediate term. Um, but I think fiction is so important to, you know, to children, to adults in terms of exploring ideas and really um, reinforcing empathy. Mm. Ah, that's actually something I read. Where was it? Mm, it was in, oh, oh, that's going to drive me insane. Oh, it was in The Organized Mind by Daniel um, Levitan. I think you pronounce it. And he was talking about how the current generation is less empathetic um, because they read less literary fiction. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure if it even needs to be literary, but to take yourself out of your own world, you know, sometimes this is done through reading history as well that, you know, takes you out of the current context, but being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and consider a different set of circumstances, I think is, is so important for all of us, whatever age you are. And, you know, really great fiction does that in a wonderful way. Um, and yeah, I just think it is so important, especially you can get really either focused on the news or really focused on yourself in today's world. Um, and books are a really great way to take you out of that. Mm, I could not agree more. It's a great way to try to drag yourself out of the endless seeming waking nightmare that we currently inhabit. Um, so what are you, what are you reading right now? I am reading the prophets by Robert Jones Jr. Okay. Would you recommend it? I would very much. It's really, really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. What's it about? It is about um, slavery in Mississippi. And uh, it's about how to do it justice. Uh, the role that religion plays about the, um, the presence of homosexual love, even at that point in history and how it was treated. It is really, really beautiful. A lot of people have said this, but it is very reminiscent of Toni Morrison, which is quite a thing to say, but it is, to me, it feels very reminiscent of her work. Okay. Is it fiction? Nonfiction? Yes. Fiction. fiction. Okay. Yeah. But set yeah. in that time. Okay. That's yes. interesting. I'll have to check that out. So yeah. uh, what have bookshop.org got planned for um, expansion, improvements, updates? What's on the cards? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, we're, we're about two and a half months into this. So uh, we've got a lot ahead of us, I would say. Um, we're working hard to make sure that we make it easier and better for buyers to buy books from us. Um, you know, we think little things like we think we could make our checkout process better and we think we could make our SEO better, you know, these kind of fundamentals. Um, we really want to work to bring more revenue streams to the bookshops. So we will start to take... Um, uh, we're, we're looking at expanding into audiobooks, for example. We're looking at expanding into um, taking promotional dollars from publishers and helping bookshops get an, a cut of that. Um, and we are looking at today, you have to have, we're very um, UK centric. So we're looking at, can we 
Brexit deal um, now evident, <laughs> mm. uh, but can we expand that and, and try to get English language books into the hands of folks overseas? We had an enormous, you know, sort of surprising amount of interest, I'd say, in um, English language books from the continent when we launched. Loads of people wanted to buy books that way, so we're hoping to be able to provide that. Uh, and, and hopefully um, very soon we'll start to take national book tokens. So there are little things like that along the way, all in the name of trying to help uh, independent bookshops be more financially secure. Okay, that's cool. So your site, when you when you go on to order something, does that mean you have to like pick the bookshop that you're ordering through, or does it, or or do you offer like just that you can order through bookshop.org as a general company? You can order through us without picking a bookshop, and in that case, ten percent of the cover price goes into a profit pool for the um, all of the participating bookshops. But it's always best if you do nominate a bookshop. And the way you do that is through the map on our website. So you can go to the map, find a bookshop near you or a bookshop you admire or just a bookshop that you think, you know, could de deserves a little love today. And when you designate them, they will get 30% of the cover price of what you buy. Okay. That's really cool. Like, yeah. It's so it's so great to see like like people, people finding like smart and innovative ways to to like be back against the 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 kind of big tech monopoly, um, especially at things like Amazon, because I, I think you you mentioned it like like these 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 huge companies like have this have the ability to sell stuff at a loss. It's like Uber is constantly making losses, but they manage to keep going through in like new investing rounds and expansion. So like the, the because they're so huge, they can afford to sell stuff to just to, to like. Yeah, take a loss on on whatever they're paying their drivers or 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 on, on loads of stuff and and I love to see people like finding not only like innovative ways but ways that are like genuinely financially viable to to yeah to fight back against against the big monopolies that we've got like do do you see do you see 2020 or like this current period we're in as like a like a turning point of like a the fight back like because I think everyone's been kind of woken up to the 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 dangers of the amount of power that some of these Silicon Valley firms actually have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, everybody has realized that where they spend their money matters, that if you just sort of casually spend money where it feels most convenient to you, you may wake up in a world that is not the one that you wish to live in. And uh, I think there was, you know, a trend towards that before the pandemic, but that has it really accelerated um, people's understanding of the impact on the high street in particular. Uh, so yeah, there, you know, and we're not the only ones doing interesting stuff in this area. Um, and it's, like I said, it's really comes down to, I think people quite often want to think, you know, either tech, tech is good or tech is bad. Um, and the, the point is, I think, you know, organizations like us, we, we want to be thoughtful about how we use technology to really genuinely help these small businesses. And, you know, I spent eight years at Etsy before this doing something similar for the designer makers to really help them um, find a platform online without diminishing what was unique about them. And without, you know, in many ways at, at Etsy as well, our, our focus was trying to, to help the people who went into those small creative businesses to spend time doing the part that they love and let us do the slightly like candidly boring, you know, less sexy part of it, which is to make sure that like somebody can give you a credit card and pay you for the thing and get an email with all the information that, 
that part is not, um, you know, it becomes easier and easier over time, but it's not what they got it, you know, booksellers or designer makers did not get into their businesses to spend time on that. Mm. Yeah, for anyone listening, actually, like Etsy is, I don't know, maybe you would define it differently, but like, it's just like a, like an online portal for, for people like independent people to sell uh, like arts and crafts stuff, clothes, beanies, um, anything, yeah. anything you can think of that people can make on their living room table, basically. That's right. That's a great description of it. Yeah. Um, so like what, what experience did you, if you find like any of the experiences have like mapped over in a way that you didn't expect from like what, what you learned doing at Etsy to, to what you're doing now? I mean, I, nothing has been really that surprising to me. I think that, that that why Bookshop really spoke to me so clearly is because there were so many parallels in my mind of these, you know, I think people who start their own business because they want to do what they love, not because they think that they're going to make a quick buck or because they're trying to like make loads of money, but because they want to spend their life doing something that they really enjoy are like, I think are heroes and really provide not only a great example, but a great service to customers. And the designer makers on Etsy and the booksellers on bookshop.org feel very similar to me in that regard. And I think it's on us to, to you know, try to help them do that as best they can. Hmm. Well, I could not agree more. Uh, so is there anything you would like to, to plug or push before we wrap up? No, I mean, I think I would just encourage folks to, to consider that like where you, sp you spend your money does matter. And as you talked about earlier, the, there's nothing that replaces going into a physical bookshop. So please do do that when you can and, and talk to them on their um, social media and on the phone while you can't. Um, booksellers are amazing. And if you can't do that, then coming to bookshop.org is a good way to support them as well. Mm. Have you considered like a VR walkthrough of the stores? That would be amazing. Obviously that's that's like, like obviously that's a little bit like dystopian if we get to the point where we actually have to just you know go in with VR to the the bookstops but bookshops but like do you think that's possible could you like do a walkthrough with a VR headset on you never know you never know like I said I think the list thing is just the very beginning of what we hope we'll be able to do um to try to you know marry technology with that amazing experience so I'm sure, you know, just even two years from now, we'll be talking about things that we didn't even imagine today. Maybe in the future, we'll all just have one blank book and the, like, we'll have to wear a headset and it'll just project the, the words onto the page. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll smell the same if that's the case. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, you'd need something to like be able to smell the old, the dust and the, the old book smell. Yeah. But yeah, Nicole, this has been um, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks very much for, for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.